Welcome to River of Life's Wednesday Night Podcast with Derek Gray. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to visit River of Life Church this Wednesday at 7 p.m. in Crawfordville. Visit rolcrawfordville.com for service times and directions. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Now, let's join Derek as he teaches from the Word of God. All right, good evening, everyone. Go ahead and find your places. We will go ahead and get uh, go ahead and get started. I want to welcome everyone back. Uh, that why that week I don't know what it was about this one. This one went by real fast, didn't it? Um, seems like we were just standing here. Uh, Romans chapter eight, verses eighteen through twenty-five, um, and the title of our lesson tonight is "Broken." Uh, tonight we're going to talk about something that we don't normally talk about. Um, we we think about it. Um, but but it's not something you would talk about over a uh, a casual dinner conversation. Uh, we're going to talk about what I think is probably the number one reason people uh, don't believe in God. It's the number one reason people believe in a God other than the God of the Bible, and it's probably also up there with uh, the top three reasons that people walk away from Christianity. So this is a, 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 a deep subject that we're going to talk about here tonight. Now, uh, what we're going to talk about is a subject that we started with last week, and that is the subject of suffering. Okay, we're going to, we're going to delve as deep into suffering as we possibly can. There are, are four things that I want to talk about. I want to talk about the purposes of, of suffering, the struggle that people have with suffering in the world, the threat of suffering to the Christian, and of course, we will end up with the hope of, of suffering. So let's begin with a subject that we kind of walked into uh, last week with Romans 8.17, and we're going to go a little bit deeper into it uh, tonight, and that is the purposes or the reasons behind uh, suffering. Now, in Romans uh, 8.17, Paul uh, makes a connection for us. He says this, We are children of God. And if children of God, then we are heirs. We are going to inherit the world. God himself will live here on this earth with us, and we will do that in glorified bodies. It is an incredible thing that is awaiting us. But then Paul makes this connection, and he says this, if you're going to gain that, if you're going to be heirs with Christ, if you're going to inherit the world, if you're going to get to heaven, then you must suffer. You have to suffer. Let's look at the verse. Let's read it together. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, that is a requirement, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Now, last week we asked two questions. The first question we asked was, why? <laughs> What's the big deal here? Why in the world do we have to suffer in order to get to heaven. And, and one of the reasons that we gave is that suffering produces endurance. Suffering produces endurance. Uh, both the Apostle uh, James in James 1 and the Apostle Paul in Romans 5 both say very similar things. They say, count it all joy when you go through suffering, when you go through pain and sorrow and hardships. Count it all joy. Now, why in the world would we do that? Because suffering produces endurance or perseverance. Put it this way, Jesus said this, they that endure to the end, what? 
will be saved. Do you want to be saved? You have to endure to the end. How, what creates endurance in us? Suffering. You want to be saved? You have to suffer. Suffer creates, suffering creates in endurance. Now, we asked another question. We said, well, how does this work? What is it about suffering that creates endurance? And the answer to that was it makes us rely on God. You remember the scripture that we used in 2 Corinthians 1 where Paul is writing to the church and he's telling about the afflictions that he and his other brothers had endured in, in Asia. And, and he describes it this way. He said, we were burdened beyond measure, burdened beyond our strength. We, we despaired of life. In fact, Paul said, we thought it was a death sentence. We, we basically thought we were going to die. That's how bad it was. Now, as I said last week, you may ask, well, God, why would you do that? These are your, these are your uh, children. They love you. They are men of God. They're leaving their families. They're going out on the mission field. They're sacrificing for you. Why wouldn't you just put a hedge of protection around them? Why wouldn't you just put a force field over them and, and protect them from anybody harming them or, or, or any kind of suffering? Why wouldn't you do that? Well, Paul answers in verse 10. He said, it was to make us rely on not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see, if we're really honest with ourselves, and we brought this up last week, if you had no pain and no sorrow and no suffering in your life, the result of that would be you would grow even more in love with the pleasures and the comfort and the security of this world. What suffering does is it drives you to your knees. What suffering does is it, it, it makes you rely on God because you realize I really don't have any control here of what's going on. I, I told someone last week at the at the end of the service, we were talking back here at the back, and I said, suffering is like bumpers uh, at the bowling alley. Do you understand that you ever go to take a kid bowling, and, and the first thing you do is you ask them to put up the bumpers, right, on the bowling alley to keep the balls out of the, out of the gutter? Suffering for us is the bumpers. See, if we're left to ourselves, there's an old hymn that set, goes like this, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. You see, the fact is, if we were left on our own, the first thing we'd do is go right in the gutter. Are you with me? See, suffering is the bumper that gets us back in the lane. Suffering, you know, wakes us up. It, it makes us look up to God. It makes us rely on Him. That's why if you can understand that, you'll understand that suffering is a great mercy in this life. It's not, a, it's not a, a punishment. It's not to, meant to discourage us. It's actually a great mercy that God is using in order to get us to heaven. It keeps us from loving this life more than we should. By the way, as I said last week, a life that always ends in death. And it makes us rely on the God who raises the dead. Now, that was a really good reason and a really good purpose for suffering. But that's not the only one. The Bible is, is full of other reasons and purposes in our suffering. Now, I would be, I'm going to list a couple of them. I'm not going to list all of them, but I'll list a couple of them. And I would be remiss if I didn't say this one. Sometimes we suffer because of the immortal words of Forrest Gump, stupid is as stupid does. In other words, sometimes you suffer because you just make, you do really dumb things. There's not a one of us here that haven't suffered in our life because we've just made really bad decisions. Are you with me? 
I mean, sometimes that's just, we, it, there's a law in this world, it's called the law of cause and effect. Right? You, bad choices have bad consequences. We don't get a, a get-out-of-jail-free card just because we're Christians. You make bad, uh, bad decisions, you make bad choices, you'll get bad consequences. And sometimes we suffer. The Bible says you're going to reap what you sow. And sometimes it's on us. Sometimes God allows it so that we can comfort others. One of the best examples of this is in Luke chapter 22. Jesus is talking to Simon Peter, and I just love this passage. It's got so much in it. The Lord says, he says, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Man, I love that. Satan had to ask Jesus, can I, can I have it, Peter? He's asked. And Jesus said, okay, you can have him. You, you can do with him what you will. But watch what he says. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you return to me, strengthen your brothers. See, see Jesus has a plan. Satan, he wants to destroy Peter. He wants Peter to suffer. He wants to kill his faith. But Jesus said, I've prayed for you. And when you return, you're going to be different. You're going to be stronger. You're going to be a real leader. You're going to be more mature. Now go strengthen. Take, take what you learned and strengthen your brothers. I think it's 1 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. It says that God comforts us so that we can turn around and comfort others with the same comfort that He gives to us. Sometimes that's why we suffer. And sometimes, back to our bowling alley and the bumpers, sometimes God has to discipline us. Hebrews 12, 6 says this, For the Lord disciplines the one He loves, and He chastises every son whom He receives. The fact is, sometimes we're heading toward the gutter and God will allow something to come into our life to straighten us back up and get us back on where we need to be. That's discipline from the Lord. There's a lot of reasons. In fact, just to see what would happen, I went to Google and I typed in why Christians suffer. And I found one website that said 20 reasons why Christians suffer. I found another website that said 25 reasons why Christians suffer. And not to be outdone, I found another one that said 30 reasons why Christians suffer. And I read them, and they've they, they got a lot of good reasons. We could go on and on here tonight just talking about the reasons and the purposes of suffering. Now, let's say we stop right here tonight. I gave you these nice reasons for suffering, and, and we kind of packaged everything up, and we felt good about it, right? We, we, don't, we don't like suffering. Nobody likes it, but we understand that there's meaning and there's purpose, and we, we've got it all in our nice little box of theology, and we put a bow on it. And we, now we all understand suffering. We know what it's, what it's all about. That would be nice. So let me ask you a question. Let's say that right now you had a friend who was suffering, and they're going through something, and it's bad. And you feel like, man, I need to write them a letter, I need to write them an email, um, and I need to encourage them. I need to build them up. I need to strengthen them. I need to instill hope in them. So let's say you sat down tonight and you wrote them a letter or, or you wrote them an email. What would you say? What would you say? See, I dare say that most of us would do something like we just talked about, right? Maybe you go to Google and you, 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 you say, why do Christians suffer? And you get some good reasons and you, and you put them in there. Because most of us believe rightly that knowing that there's meaning and knowing that there's purpose in our suffering helps us get through it. Yes or no? Absolutely. That's a good thing. That's a right thing. So most of us 
would actually give reasons for the suffering. You know, maybe you're going through this because God wants you to, to, to strengthen your brothers and sisters and comfort your brothers and sisters. And so we would give some of those reasons. And that's what most of us would do. But that's not what Paul does. And here's the reason. Because the world, suffering, you can't wrap it up in a nice little box. The world ain't like that. I'm sorry, but the world in suffering just isn't that defined. I first taught this lesson eight and a half years ago. I actually went back and looked it up. Uh, January of 2013, I taught this lesson on this exact passage in the book of Romans. Three weeks before I taught uh, this lesson, that happened. Three weeks before I taught this lesson on suffering, that happened. Folks, you can't put that in a box. You, you can't define a nice little reason or theology for that to explain that. And I'm assuming not, most of y'all here are old enough to know exactly what happened. For those of you that were young, or maybe in your early 20s, you would have only been a teenager um, there, was a, there was a shooting, and there were 20 little first graders, six and seven years old, gone. It was just shocking. It was tragic. It was horrible. It was ghastly. I mean, you... And here's the thing. That happens every day. Every day around this world. There's fires, and there's tornadoes, and there's tsunamis, and there's hurricanes, and there's trees falling on people and there's leukemia and there's car wrecks and I could just go on and on and on and on and it happens all the time. And it seems like, by the way, that it happens more today and, and, and probably part of that is because there's more people, but part of it is also because of communications and media. I mean, something somebody stubs their toe on the other side of the world, you hear about it, right? Used to, you only knew about what happened around you. Now you know about the tragedies of the whole world. So it just seems so overwhelming at times, the suffering that is going on in this world. This is the past. When Paul's writing tonight, these are the things that Paul is addressing. Okay? He's not just worried. He's not just addressing this little suffering that's going on over here, this persecution. He's addressing the big things. He's addressing it all. This is an incredible passage, and the Bible doesn't back away at all, as you'll see. Let's read verse 18. Paul begins by saying this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now let's stop right there. The meaning of this passage tonight is pretty straightforward. It's, it's not hard to understand. What Paul is saying to us is any suffering is worth it. Any suffering is, is worth it. These verses are written, and I'm going to read this twice so that we understand this. These verses are written to strengthen our faith so that we won't be shaken by the suffering that's going on all around us. Let me say that again. Paul is writing these verses tonight so that you and I as Christians won't be shaken when there's suffering all around us. That's the point of these verses. Now, here's the thing. Remember what I just said about you writing a letter to your friend? Paul is writing a letter to friends. 
Paul is, is writing letter to, to his family, the church at Rome, people that are not only suffering now, but they're going to be going through suffering. But he doesn't do what you and I would do. He doesn't put the suffering into a personal or individual context. He puts it into a universal context. Now, let me say this. You and I might not do that. Okay? This might not be what we would do, but Paul is being inspired by the Holy Spirit. So evidently, this is exactly what you and I need to hear. And we need to make sure that we stop tonight and listen to what Paul says. Let's read verses 19 to 25, then we'll come back and talk about it. It says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is uh, seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience." Now, as I said earlier, this is probably not the letter that we would write. We would probably try to give reasons and purposes and, and, and try to make it more individual. But this is God-inspired Scripture, and that means that it is exactly what we need to uh, hear in order to endure suffering. Now, I'm going to show you three ways that Paul puts suffering in a universal context. Okay, Not individual, but universal. The first thing he does is he says the whole creation groans. He says this basically three times. He says the creation was subjected to futility. The creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption. The whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. now I want you to notice very, very carefully what Paul says. The creation is broken. The universe is broken. It, it's not just you. It's not just your family. It's not just your county or your state or your nation or even your world. The whole creation, Paul says, is broken. Suffering is, is not just about you. It's part of something much bigger. Suffering in this world is part of what Paul calls a universal slavery to Corruption. Now, what does he mean by that? Scientists have these laws, right? You've heard of the first law of thermodynamics and the second law of thermodynamics and the third law and all this. Well, the second law of thermodynamics, I'll get it out, says this. In a nutshell, everything in the world decays, right? If I, I've got some property and if I had a, a, a stack of lumber delivered to my property and they stacked it up nice and neat, and left it there for me, and I let that lumber sit there for a year, 10 years, 50 years, it'll never assemble itself into a house. In fact, the exact opposite will happen. Moisture will begin to rot. Termites will get into it. The wind will blow it over. It just begins to decay, right? Put up a house and don't take care of it. What happens? doesn't get stronger. It decays. Look at your body. What's happening to our bodies? They're decaying. 
everything decays. That's what Paul said. There's a slavery to corruption. You see, there is in this world a a, a ruin, a, a rottenness, a corruption, a brokenness, however you want to put it. There's something not right. There's something out of order about all of it. So this is what Paul wants us to see. He's talking about suffering. And the first thing he wants, he says, it's not just about you. The whole thing is messed up. That's what he wants us to see. So when we come into suffering, one of the things we need to be careful of is always looking inward. We've got a real tendency to do that, don't we? We go into suffering and everything will just turn inward. It's all about me. And what Paul is trying to get us to do is to step back and say, it's not all about your individual suffering. It's part of something much bigger. Here's the second way that he puts suffering into a universal context. He includes the whole entirety of history. For example, Romans 8.20, the creation was subjected to futility. That's the past. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time. That's, of course, the the present time. He's talking about currently. And then, of course, he says in verse 20, in hope that the creation will be set free at some point in in the future. So what he's wanting us to see here is not only the world is broken, the world's always been broken. It's always been broken. Again, it's not about just you in your present time. I was reading some of the news headlines tonight. Man, if you just look, scroll through the news, the whole world's on fire. The whole world's falling apart. And Chick, uh, they said Chick-fil-A's running out of sauce. That's the sign of the end times right there. If that, I mean, everything else we can deal with, but if they run out of their sauce, we got real problems, right? The world's falling apart. It, it is a, but it's always been that way. Like I said, it seems like it's worse just because of media, but it's always been broken. I remember years ago, we went to Washington, D.C. and uh, went to the church that uh, George Washington uh, attended. Actually looked at his pew. Back then, you, when you gave money, they put your name on your pew, and they still had George Washington's name on the pew. And I remember walking outside into their graveyard, and there was a graveyard, and people had died in that graveyard in, in like 1740 and 1690, and I mean, it was just these old graves and, you, and I, I don't know if I found a single person in that graveyard over 45 years old. Child after child after child, teenager after teenager after teenager, dying in all kind of different ways. It's always been broken, not just now, but throughout history. Now, here's the third thing he tells us, okay? This is all on purpose. This is all on purpose. Look at verses 20 and 21. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. You see, someone made this happen. Now, that someone, of course, is God. Now, you may ask, well, how do you know it's God? How do you, he just says Him. How do you know He's not talking about Adam? How do you know He's not talking about Satan? Well, I know that because it says it was done in hope. Adam didn't do it in hope. Adam didn't say, you know what, I'm going I'm to mess this thing all up and I hope God puts it back together. Adam didn't do that. Satan could care less about hope. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. God did it on, in, in a purpose. God had a plan 
to put it all back together. Now, let's turn to the second thing, the struggle with suffering. Does anyone here know what deism is? Deism. So deism is the belief that there is a God, but this God does not intervene in the universe. In other words, they believe in God, that a God created the universe, but then he just steps back and crosses his arms and he just says, hey, kesera, sera, whatever will be, will be. And he just watches it happen. By the way, Thomas Jefferson was a deist. He was not a Christian. Uh, he, he didn't believe. He believed in God. He used the word God a lot, but he didn't believe in the God of the Bible. He was a deist. He didn't believe God intervened. In fact, Thomas Jefferson had his own Bible. Go Google it. Google the Thomas Jefferson Bible. He took out all the miracles, cut out all the miracles of Jesus and took it out and created his own Bible because he didn't believe that God intervenes in this creation. That's called deism. There's another belief somewhat similar. It's called dualism. Dualism is belief that there are two gods or two powers. One is good and one is evil. And they're, they're, they're equally strong and they're fighting for control of creation. They're fighting for control of the world. Sometimes the good God wins and good things happen. And sometimes the bad God wins and that's when you have, uh, you have suffering. Okay? Now you may ask why. Why would people believe like that? Well, there are people out there that really want to believe in God. They really do, but they have a big problem. And that is they cannot reconcile suffering, the suffering that they see in this world, they cannot reconcile that with this idea of a loving God. They just can't, they, they can't make the two match up. So what they do is they remove God from the equation. They become a deist and say, well, you know, God doesn't have anything to do with it. He's got his, you know, he's just letting us do our own thing down here. He doesn't intervene. Or you become a dualist, which basically says it's the other guy's fault. Sometimes the other guy just wins. Now, folks, neither one of those are biblical. That's not what the Bible teaches at all, okay? In fact, my Bible tells me my God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. He is a sovereign God of the universe. We saw it with Simon Peter. Satan asked permission from God to sift you like wheat. He doesn't touch us without asking permission. See, that's not what my Bible teaches at all. In fact, this is what the Bible teaches tonight. Romans 8.20, The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it. God made it this way or did this on purpose. So what we need to understand coming out of this is this the miserable condition of this world, its futility and its rottenness and its brokenness and corruption are owing, not, it's not an accident, it's owing to the judicial decree of God. God subjected it to futility. Now, here's the question, why? Why did he do it? Why would he do it? Well, Paul answers that in Romans 8.20. He did it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, that, that decay, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, what's that, what's that mean? Let me tell you, he did it because of sin. 
He did it because of sin. The meaning, listen to me folks, the meaning of all the brokenness and all the corruption and all the suffering and all the rottenness, it is a big neon sign that is screaming sin is horrific. Sin did this. Every time you see suffering, it's because of individual people's sins or it's because of the sin of our forefather Adam. But everything we see on this planet, this broken, rotten misery that we see, it's because of sin. And, 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 and can you imagine if this were... If, I walk through life and, and I go through life and I'm looking at this stuff and heaven just looks better and better and better and better and better. That's the point. Just like your individual suffering should turn you to God, seeing the suffering and the misery of this world should also turn us to the one, that only one that has the answer. See, atheism says there is no God. They don't have no answer. Deism says, well, God just got His arms folded. He ain't doing anything. They have no answer. And dualism says, well, you know, sometimes the, the devil, he's just as strong as... Uh, as God is, and sometimes He wins, they don't have the answer. I, that's not my God. That's not the God I serve. I serve a God who subjected this planet to this in hope that it would be redeemed along with the children of God. See, this, this world is, is showing us that sin is hideous. I mean, I don't, you know, that's, the, that's what it's screaming to us. It's, it's horrific. But here's the thing. If you don't understand the holiness of God, if you don't understand the beauty and the glory of God, you'll see all of this as, over, as an overreaction on God's part. Does that make sense? You'll say, God, listen, you went a little too far with this. You didn't have to allow it to be this bad, but that's because you don't understand the beauty and the glory and the holiness of the God that we serve. Let me show you this. I want to go back one quick way. A lot of people struggle with suffering. And they say, I, I, just, I, can't, I can't serve a God or believe in a God who would allow this type of suffering. So maybe I've got a neighbor who, who wants to believe in God, but he's, maybe he's an atheist because he can't just, I just can't believe a God would do this. Or maybe he's a deist because he takes God out of the equation. Or maybe he's a dualist because he thinks, well, there's this evil power or whatever. But here I am on the other side of the street, and I see the same misery, and I see the same suffering, and I look up at God and I say, Abba, Father. What's the difference? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. That's how the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit when all of this stuff is going on and I can still see all through all of it and I say, Abba, Father, you're a good God. That's the Holy Spirit bearing witness within me that I'm seeing things correctly. I'm seeing things for real. I want to talk about two final things. Number one, the threat of suffering. What threat does suffering hold for believers? What, what, threat does suf- uh, what threat does suffering hold for you and I? Suffering always holds a threat. Now listen to me very closely. That our faith in, in God's sovereign goodness will be destroyed. That's always the threat. When suffering comes into your life, 
or you see suffering around you, there's always a threat that you'll stop trusting that God is good. Some of you have been there. I know some of your stories. I know some of the things that have happened to you. You know, some of you know my story. We go through things and there's a real threat in our life that maybe God's not as good as I thought He was because He let this happen to me. That's the threat of suffering. See, in the end, the issue is not really where does your pain come from. The issue is whether you're going to trust the goodness of God in your pain and through your pain and despite your pain. That's the issue. That's the issue. Are you going to hang on to that loving God and believing in Him and trusting in Him when suffering all around you might lead you in another direction? Let me tell you, Paul comes to this text. Now listen to me. Paul comes to this text and he wants to encourage you. He wants to give you hope. He says, man, I... I am convinced that there's nothing in the world, no suffering, it's even worth comparing, mentioning in the same sentence with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. But I want, to, I want you to notice what Paul does. The comfort and encouragement of this text is not coming to you and saying, hey, God's got nothing to do with your suffering. Paul doesn't say that. The atheist would say, well, there is no God. The deist would say, God doesn't intervene. The dualist says, well, sometimes the devil's just stronger than God. Listen, I, I, I don't know about y'all, but no, I don't want any of that. I want to know one thing. God, just tell me you're here. Tell me you're in control. Tell me you got my back. Tell me that. As long as I know that, I can do anything. But don't put me on an island and tell me that God's got nothing to do with it. That You just took all my hope. You took it all away from me. So that's not what Paul does. It Paul says, in the suffering, in the suffering, God's got a plan. In the suffering, God's got a purpose. In the suffering, God is working all things for good to those that love Him and those that are called according to His purpose. That's what Paul says. Paul doesn't try to back away and say, oh, no, God's got nothing. No. No, he puts God front and center. You may not like it, but he puts it right there. He said, God did this. God did this, and he did it for a reason, and he did it for a purpose in hope. That is our encouragement. Now, let's close with this, the hope of suffering. There is so much, so much hope in this, these verses, 18 through 25. There are so many things there that I could talk about. In fact, I just, I just ran out of time. I, I was, my slide number was getting up, and I thought, man, i gotta just, I got to cut this down. So I picked one thing, just one thing. I picked verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Okay? Now listen to me. I want you to imagine for one moment that you're in a hospital. You can close your eyes or not close your eyes, but I want you to imagine you're in a hospital. And all of a sudden, across the hall, you hear a woman scream. I mean, it is a blood-curdling, painful scream. It's terrible. Is that bad or is that good? You see, folks, it all depends on what part of the hospital you're in. Are you in the hospice unit or are you in the maternity ward? You see, the context of that suffering changes everything. Are you with me? Can you see where I'm going? 
Can you see what's coming? You see, God is promising you and I that our suffering in this world is not the throes of death. It's the pains of childbirth. It's not the throes of death for you and I. It's just the the labor pains of childbirth. See, all pain is not the same. Yes, there is a pain that leads to death, but there is a pain in childbirth that leads to life. And what verse 22 promises you and I as children of God is that all of our pain is going to lead to life. All of our pain is going to lead to life. Now I'll close with one more thing. I told you last week in verse 17 that verse 17 is not bad news. Paul says, We are children of God, and if children, then heirs, joint heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified with Him. And I said to you, that's not bad news. Paul doesn't tell you this spectacular news about being children and joint heirs with God to turn right around and say, okay, you got to suffer and discourage you. It wasn't bad news. Now, I will tell you, for a long time, I would read that verse and I saw it as bad news. And here's why. Maybe some of you are where I am. I remember reading this uh, verse as a teenager. And I thought, man, I'm in big trouble because I ain't suffering. Anybody ever read it that way? I remember reading it thinking, man, I'm, I, I, I'm not suffering. I'm not being persecuted for my faith. What's going to happen to me? It says i got to suffer. See, the fact is, though, when you think about it, you don't really have a choice where you're born and what time you're born, right? I wasn't born in the Middle East. I wasn't born in a Muslim country where I might be persecuted or killed for my faith. I'm born in America. I'm born in the South. I'm born in the Bible Belt. There's nobody persecuting us. And I used to think, man, I'm, how, how do I fulfill that? And then I realized one day I was looking at it all wrong. That wasn't what Paul was trying to say at all. I, I underlined the two words that jumped out at me. He says it this, If children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs, provided we suffer with Him. You see, the fact is, is this, everybody suffers. Everybody. The whole creation is broken. Everybody suffers. The question is, are you going to suffer with Him or are you going to suffer without Him? You're going to suffer with Him or are you going to suffer without Him? See, what I think, what I think Paul is saying here is that he's talking about the suffering that everybody goes through. But there are those of us who suffer with Christ. We, we see our pain as the pains of childbirth. We see our pain as, as that of the hope of redemption. It, it changes everything, just like it did with Simon Peter. His, his suffering, his, his, his uh, wrestling with Satan and the things that he went through had a higher purpose. We see that. We understand that. We grasp that. That means you're suffering with Him, not without Him. You see, for Christians, suffering in this life is never meaningless when you suffer with Him, while others are out there suffering many times the same things, but they're completely suffering without Him. I don't know about you, but I want to suffer with Him. I want to put my faith in Him. I want to believe without a shadow of a doubt that He is a good God and He's got plans for my life, that He's working all things together for my good, no matter what may come into my life. Let's pray. Father... As always, Lord, what an incredible passage of Scripture you've given us. Um, 
Father, I just thank you so much that you didn't allow the Apostle Paul to divorce you from the equation of suffering, that he took you and he put you front and center. I am so thankful for that because, God, I cannot do it without you, but I can do anything with you. I can't do it without you, but I can do anything with you. God, help us to suffer with you. Help us to endure hardships with you. Help us, help us to understand all the things that we see and that's going on all around us. Help us to understand those in the context of you. God, help us not ever try and fall into the trap of divorcing you or separating you from what goes on in our life. No, you are right here. You are right here. Sometimes it's discipline. Sometimes it's forcing us to rely on you. Some, there, there's all kind of reasons, Lord, but you are always front and center. Thank you for that. Thank you for that, Lord. We give you the praise and the honor in the good times, and I'll give you the praise and honor in the bad. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to the River of Life podcast. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with you, please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email at info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to check out River of Life live this Wednesday at 7 p.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions. Mm-hmm.